0: Um, Before I begin, I I want to, I'm going to talk more about the Timothy text. I'm not really going to speak much about the Proverbs text, but I want you to uh, hear that last part and the the joy of that Proverbs text and and keep that in our minds as well today. Honor the Lord with your substance and with your first fruits of all your produce. And the first fruits were um, the first things that you that you gathered in at harvest. So, if you're a farmer, the first fruits are the, the very first things that you pick. So, you don't, uh, and the best of the harvest, really. So, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I just think that's a great phrase. So, um, you can enjoy vats of wine um, by honoring God uh, with your substance, apparently, uh, which I think is great. Um, I've got a $10 bill here uh, in my wallet. I don't have anything bigger than a $10 bill, I'm sorry. But um, I'm going to have a question at the end of my sermon, and whoever gets it right gets this $10 bill. There you go. Everyone's listening now? (laughs) Money has never made man happy, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. Benjamin Franklin. He who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. Eleanor Roosevelt. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. Who said that? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus. Our text from First Timothy, I think, is a really interesting text. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, these verses that we had are really in two parts. So here's the the first part again. It's not a long text, so I'll just repeat it for you. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. The first thing to note about this section of our reading is that money itself is not bad. Money is not evil. It is the desire for it that this is talking about. This section is about those who want to be rich. And it says not that that money is the root of evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When put in its proper place under God and as a tool or instrument, money is actually really great. But there are dangers, right? There are dangers. What are some of the dangers in this idea of the love of money or the the pursuit after it, the desire for it? What are some of the dangers that you can fall into? Anyone? What would you say is a danger? Excessive stress, sure. Anything else that's a danger? Yes. Anything else? Yeah. Sorry. Compr- making compromises, like compromising morals, that kind of thing, because you are going to go after that and at the expense of something else. Another two that came to me are uh, workaholism is a, is a real danger, right? So you're just gonna keep working, working, working. Um, another one is actually gambling, I think, is, uh, is a possibility as well, that you think, you know, I don't have, especially on the side of, I maybe don't have enough money, but if I can just, you know, I'll just spend $5 a week on the lottery with, for the chance of it, and easily you can get addicted to it. I'm not making a big comment about gambling here, but I think um, it can be a problem, right? And There's people who get addicted to gambling because and it starts out with a belief that if if I can get that then it, then i'll get my happiness from it um, or it's a it's a striving after so those are all good th- all good uh, examples there. I think behind the dangers of any of these really is maybe what bruce was was talking about, um, and that is really kind of trust that. We will trust in money to solve our problems or to provide fulfillment or whatever it is. Um, money actually can solve some problems, for sure. Um, when people ask me when is the new church gonna be built over on McGilvery Boulevard, I ask them if they have $500,000. Um, that's actually a great illustration though, isn't it? Because is our faith in money or is our faith in God? Even with that. And we could talk about that in the church, but it might be more helpful to talk about it in our own lives. What about in our own lives? Money is an instrument, and we'll say things, well, we'll do things like, well, we've got to support ourselves and we've got to support our families, and what we do is we make money in order to provide for our families, in order to live. Um, But I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed this that supporting a family seems to include a lot more, it seems to include a lot more, the more money people have. Have you noticed that? That one family will provide for their family in a, in a whole lot of ways when they've got the means to do it, and another family will figure out a way to provide for their family without that much money. Have you seen that? I'll just use my own life as an example, because I don't want to pick on anyone else. I work, and Cheryl is starting to go back to work as a substitute teacher. We were thankful that she was able to go and work one day this week. That was great, um, the first time this year. So we go and we make money, and we're supporting our family, our family that it consists of three people, Cheryl and I and our one child. Our house is a 900-square-foot bi-level, and our big thing is we don't have a lot of storage space in this house. It's only 900 square feet. Don't have a lot of storage space. For what? Well, stuff, right? Like, (laughs) I grew up with my parents and my two older sisters, five of us, in what, a 900 square foot bi-level. Were we just smaller people back then? (laughs) My parents had less money. We had less stuff. When I visited Malawi and went to one of the poorest places in the entire world, in the middle of a city, in the middle of Blantyre is a district called Indurandi, and there we met a man who was trying to support his family. I can't remember how many kids they had, was it nine kids, I think? Or maybe it was nine in the family, like seven to nine children, and they were... Their house was about 12 feet by 10 feet. Maybe a little bit bigger than that, maybe 15 by 10, but I mean, still. It was tiny. They had a curtain in their house, which was their wall. And that separated where mom and dad slept from where the kids slept. They cooked outside. Their toilet was outside. They were thankful because the church had been able to help them build uh, a new outhouse. The man used crutches to walk. And actually, he was also a preacher. His um, friends would come and carry him to church, and we found out it was about a kilometer to get to his church. He was a cobbler by trade, and was no longer able to support his family because, much like here, it had become cheaper to get new shoes than to repair old ones. So he was trying to figure out What else can I learn in order to be able to support my family? When we say we're working to support our families, what do we mean? Now, I think I actually mean I want something better for my daughter. And I should say as well, you you actually don't have to go to Malawi you can go to the inner city of Winnipeg to find poor living conditions. And the fact that those poor living conditions exist in our world is not right. I'm not saying we should all become that. It's not right that that exists. So when we say we're working to support our families, what do we mean? I think I mean I want something better for my daughter. But there's a danger in that, isn't there? Because you can always want something better. And once you've got that better, you can always want something better again. You can always want something more. And there is no one who is going to show you the line of where you've moved from having enough to having too much for your own good. No one can show you where that is. When we say we need money, what many of us are really talking about is our desire for a certain lifestyle, not our actual need. And I'm not here to tell you that that is a bad thing. I'm here to warn you not to make that an ultimate thing. I'm also here to remind you to be honest with yourself about money, possessions, and their place in your life, because they're not supposed to be first. And before we get all hung up on the ideas of Western extravagance, uh, we we need to note that the warnings found here in 1 Timothy are not only for the rich. They are perhaps even more for those who do not consider themselves rich. See, the love of money is a big problem when you have money. You will want more. But the love of money is also a big problem when you are poor. we may ask, what will we sacrifice in order to get more? Will we sacrifice our families? Will we sacrifice our health, our values or our morals, our faith? When you don't have much, you can begin to believe that money is going to solve all your problems. It can help, yes, but the pursuit of money can be devastating. In verse 10, it says, in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. They've abandoned trusting in God for provision and started to believe, I can go get it myself. Paul, in writing to Timothy, also assumes that there are rich people in the church, and he doesn't begrudge them at all. He does warn them, however, and gives guidelines for how the rich ought to behave in relation to their wealth. And that's the second part of the reading. So I'm going to read that to you again. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. What I want us to grab a hold of today is that most of us here are in fact in the category of rich. Even if you don't think of yourself that way, globally, we are rich. Even in Winnipeg terms, most of us here are rich. So we must hear these words and take heed. And the words, I think, are actually quite beautiful. Listen to this again. Do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wow. That's actually really amazing. Our money is not certain. God is certain. Well, We should really live that way, shouldn't we? We, we don't. Um, we set our, up our lives completely the other way around, don't we? We go throughout our lives doubting God a fair amount and trusting in our savings plans, don't we? And this text says... No, 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 you've got that backwards. Your your money is uncertain. That's just temporary. God is certain. And forever. I also love the, the last part of this phrase about God being this one who richly provides us with everything, which we hear all the time, and I've talked about the last two weeks about God providing, and this is our theme for October, about God's provision, but we're really good at ignoring the last uh, three words of that. So we're okay with God richly provides us with everything, but then we quickly forget that the end of the sentence is for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. And this part of the text is directed towards the rich in the community. That's really interesting to me. It's okay to enjoy. You don't have to feel guilty for enjoying what God has provided. So if I'm talking to you about the poor in the poorest part of the world, you shouldn't be thinking, oh, well, I feel horrible about myself because, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that vacation. It's okay to enjoy what's there. It's unjust, and we should pray, and we should support, and we should be generous. That's the next part of the text, talking about our generosity. All of those things have to happen as well. But it's okay to enjoy what you've received. No matter what economic level you are at, we need to enjoy what God gives. And now we get to the next phrase, which we really, really need do good. Be rich in good works, be generous, and ready to share. Don't miss this, don't miss this, this is the absolute key. We who are rich in this world need to do this phrase in our lives. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share. And I I just love this part. The, The next part of that is, it says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. I look at these verses this way. As you do good, as you are generous, as you share, it opens up to you the kind of life God wants for you. In fact, the life that he lives in you and through you. It's an image that's being used. It's kind of like a savings account. Each time you do good, each time you're generous, each time you give away, a deposit is made, and that is your foundation. Now, it's not that God is counting up what you do and then rewarding you accordingly as though your salvation depends on your goodness. No, absolutely not. Salvation depends only on the grace of Christ alone. See, I see this more as us growing into the kind of people who can really live the life that God intends. And shouldn't we want that? See, instead of living one way where we pursue more, and we think we are building a good life for ourselves, and we're storing up our, all of our savings and whatever it is we're going to store up, instead of living that life, we're asked to live a different way, a way where we give, where we're rich in things like good works, where we're generous, where we're ready to share. And in living that way, we begin to be able to take hold of what Paul says is the life that really is life. See, see the first way, the building a life for ourselves, is not really life. But this other way, God's way of generosity, of giving, and of faith is a life that really is life, Paul says. This is what we are asked to do, how we are asked to live. And there's such joy in living this way. It's it's fun to be generous. Have you noticed that? When you give, when you give away, when you help someone in need, it's joy to do it. In the end, we are asked to put God before wealth. And if if ever we've worshipped something in our world more than we've worshipped God, it's been money. And there'll be... You know, many preachers who will worry about talking about money, but the, the Bible actually talks about money and possessions um, not as much as love, but after love, the Bible talks about money and possessions next. Um, so we need to deal with that because it's a real issue that we have, which is why I think Paul writes to Timothy about it about the love of money and how dangerous it is. We need to pay close attention to it and live the life of generosity and sharing with others. At the end of our service today, we're going to sing Be Thou My Vision. It's actually my favorite hymn. And, um, but Evangeline pointed out to me this week verse 4. So I'm going to read that to you to close, and, uh, and we'll pay attention when we sing it. Riches I heed not, nor vain earthly praise. Thou my inheritance through all my days. So thou is talking about God. It's not the money I need. God is in fact my inheritance. Thou and thou only, the first in my heart. High king of heaven, my treasure thou art. God is the only treasure, is what that verse says.